Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another live podcast episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We really appreciate you listening along to some industry thought leadership and maneuvering some of the biggest and most pressing challenges as well as opportunities in the broader education space today. So as we maneuver today's topic and get some expert insights from a legacy professional in the space, make sure that you're heading to our website for more thought leadership as well as information on our solutions and services and how they intersect with today's conversation. You can find more about the company, as well as more thought leadership, including episodes of our podcast, School Safety Today, on our website, raptortech.com. Again, raptor, like the dinosaur, tech.com. You can also subscribe to School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. So let's get to the core conversation. With so many different federal actions providing funding, for schools to reopen safely this fall, all of the education sphere's professionals, including educators, administrators, and facility managers, are facing the pressure. They're struggling to understand the best ways to take advantage of all of this assistance and also how to center their strategies in thoughtful and sustainable ways. For example, the ARP-ESSER Fund has recently set aside $123 billion dollars in available funds to help K-12 schools safely reopen their doors. And they're doing this through providing dollars for health screening tools, funds for learning loss, and additional resources to address the mental well-being of students impacted by the isolation of lockdown. But that's a lot, right? That's a lot to maneuver. It's quite a maze, uh, you know, a, a literal maze, a labyrinth to understand how to access those funds and then apply them thoughtfully, right? So which solutions are worth the investment and how do you even begin to get to all of that available money to support your operations? Well, with our podcast today, we're hoping to give you some of that support, some of those tips and strategies by getting into the nitty gritty of today's available federal funding. And we're going to be breaking down some of those best funding strategies for a safe reopening that puts students and teachers first. So our guest today, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Paula Love. She's the president of RFPmatch.com as well as known within the industry as the funding doctor. She's been helping schools maneuver funding and grants for the last 49, almost 50 years. And Dr. Love is going to be joining us to help break down how to align these federal funds to protect your school. She's going to give us some details on grant application and submission, as well as giving some strategies on that process. She's also going to break down how to create sustainability in these investments and how to maximize the use of these federal funds. So, Dr. Paula Love, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. And thank you so much for that great welcome, Daniel. It really was very nice. And I'm so honored and pleased to be here to talk with everyone today. Absolutely. Well, you know, you are the expert. You've been doing this for a while now. And I know you've seen 
many iterations of federal funding come through the pipeline, uh, which is going to be great context to intersect with our discussion today as we understand what's new, what's different, and also what's the same, right? Some strategies that schools already have in their back pocket for maneuvering grant applications and applying these funds in thoughtful ways still apply. It can just be kind of difficult to understand what to do in this specific situation and how to balance both those COVID short-term responses and also some of the long-term investments that reflect already existing trends in the industry. So let's go ahead and jump into it again, Dr. Paula Love. I'm, I'm pre- you know very excited to get your thoughts here. So uh, I mentioned some of the different programs. There are so many acronyms for funds and it's easy to get lost in the maze of names for these recovery funds. You've got the CARES Act, you have ESSER, which I mentioned earlier, GEAR, and that's just a few of them. So I'm wondering if you can give us that high-level overview, breaking down each of those uh, federal funding initiatives, and more specifically, how they intersect with school and education funding specifically. Because some of them are for education specifically, some of them are more broad. So give us that rundown, give us a compare and contrast. Absolutely, thank you so much again. What I see right now, folks, it's a funding frenzy out there because you're trying to navigate, just like Daniel said, all of these different funds and these different fund names. And sometimes it's very difficult to really um, ascertain which grants are associated with different acts. So what I'd like to do to break it all down for us and help us really get through this alphabet soup and boil it right now so that we don't we can all kind of get grounded in this discussion today. I'd like to begin with the CARES Act. Now let's just remind ourselves that CARES stands for Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. It is an act. And from that act, we had some funds. And at the Department of Education, those funds were called Education Stabilization Funds. That's kind of the big umbrella for all of the other little pieces, be it higher education or K-12 education that fell underneath that. So let's break down that CARES Act first in what happened. So there were two pathways that actually occurred that K-12 schools can access. One was called the Elementary Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund. We refer to it as ESSER. And that fund was a brand new fund, let's say a brand new runway for education that we've never had before. And associated with that fund was an unbelievable $13.2 billion. Now, in addition, I know it was tremendous. Yeah, a lot of money. And and that fund came in at March 2020. That was our first one. Along with it came the Governor's Emergency Relief Fund. We refer to it as GEAR. Now, in the ESSER, those monies came down to your state education agency, your state department. But the GEAR money went to the governor's to have their discretion for how they were going to use those funds in their states. And during that March 2020 timeframe, when those funds first came out, 
we saw various governors doing different things. We saw governors giving it all to K-12. We saw a lot of governors giving it to both K-12 and higher ed. And we saw some governors just designating it for higher ed. But as, as amazing as that money was, Daniel, what happened in December 2020 was four times the amount of money that we received in March 2020. And so we had almost $54.3 billion, again, four times the amount of money. And that piece of money that came down at the end of December was referred to, and you might see this acronym folks out there, as CRRSA. And that act is the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act. So another act that came down at the end of December. And in that act, much like we saw in March under CARES, there were two pathways for K-12. And especially when we're talking about pathways that we can use in the safe return of students. So those pathways, again, were ESSER and GEAR. But this time the GEAR money shifted a little bit because they took the four million for gear and designated three million of that for non-public education. And excuse me, I said million. I feel like I live in millions instead of billions. <laughs> I'm doing with all, it's fair. It's, it's a lot of money to be juggling around. I understand. It is a lot of money. It's a, what I say to everybody right now. It is an amazing time. You know, Daniel said all this experience that I have in all of the years that I've been out there working with funding folks from a local school district perspective to a state and doing a lot of work at the federal level, I have never seen what we've seen right now. So it's a great time, but it's also a time sometimes when we're looking at these funds that we may be insecure a little bit in using them. So let me go back to the second round that happened. So we call that second round ESSER 2 and GEAR 2. That's important to get in your mind now because you're going to see ESSER, ESSER 2, and now we're leading up to what happened in March 2021 when the American Rescue Plan, or ARP, we refer to it as ARP, came about. And during that time, we saw twice the money that we saw in round two. So we had a total just in the ARP ESSER of 123 billion dollars. Now, it's just it's it's just when you add them all up, it's just like I said, it's an amazing time. But the other thing that happened during that ARP time was we didn't get money under gear. So gear was not there. We'll talk about that a little bit later because there are some monies that went to the governors, but it didn't go down that pathway called gear. So I hope that kind of 
got us through a little bit of the alphabet soup that is exists out there and kind of grounds us. So folks, it's not CARES money, it's ESSER money or GEAR money. It's not CRRSA money, but it's rather, again, those ESSER dollars. And if we look at that third round when we talk about ARC, it is not ESSER 3 really in the legislation, although we see a lot of school districts calling it ESSER 3, it's called ARP ESSER. Dr. Love, that is probably the best breakdown of the word salad we could have gotten. So I appreciate that from you. Thank you for helping clarify the difference between these different acts and how we should be thinking about the dollars that are coming through the pipeline, right? Understanding the basics uh, helps make it much simpler to actually get into the nitty gritty. So thanks again for that. Let's get a little deeper here. Uh, so you mentioned this already a little bit, but with these funds usually come a plethora of deadline dates. You mentioned several rounds, especially with the elementary, secondary school emergency relief funds, again, ESSER funds. Uh, there are several deadline dates and several rounds that you need to be keeping an eye on. So can you help clarify some of those deadline dates for each round of the ESSER fund and how those should uh, influence some of the strategies that schools use moving forward? All right, folks, let's listen carefully because these funds deviate a lot from our traditional allocated or formula dollars. And by that, I mean, some of you may be familiar with Title I, which is low socioeconomic status funds for the achievement of our students. Some of you might be aware of Title II programs. And all of those funds that are appropriated funds have a one-year lifespan, unless there is an extension that is, might be granted by the state. But all of them really have a one-year. And here came ESSER. ESSER did something very different. So when it came down in March 2020, the deadline date for using that first round of ESSER funds and let me qualify instead of the word deadline, the obligation date for using those funds is 9-30-2022. Now let's go to ESSER 2. ESSER 2 that came out, the obligation of those funds is 9-30-2023. And now we have ARP ESSER with an obligation date of 9-30-2024. Look at the potential for you really to maximize and support students' safe return to schools. You've got a tremendous runway to do so. All right, Dr. Love, thank you for those dates. Team, I hope you all took note of those. Those are going to be important. And uh, just as a quick refresher, Dr. Love, if folks need said refresher on those dates, if they need those clarified, is there anywhere online that they can go to remind themselves on those dates and uh, some of the requirements? Absolutely. So when we talked about the Education Stabilization Funds, go to the U.S. Department of Education and look at those education stabilization funds. 
you will find ESSER 1, ESSER 2, along with the, the obligation dates. Now, let's talk about the third round, which is ARP ESSER, because it's at a different place at the U.S. Department of Education. If you go to the American Rescue Plan, you will find the dates there. And Daniel, let me remind the folks that they, we need to have a clear understanding between the word obligation of those funds and actually the, the spend of those funds. Obligation means that I've made some kind of agreement that I'm going to obligate those funds for a certain specific use in the case that we're talking about here about the safe return of our students. It could be the health screening, it could be emergency management, but the, the idea is that you are obligating, you are agreeing. The following year, each of those funds have to be spent. So let me let me just spend a little time on that spend down dates because this is where it gets, everybody asks me all the time, Polly, can you unravel these dates for us? Because it's really hard. So I gave you the obligation dates. Those are your most important dates that you need to look at. But let's talk about from a school district's perspective, when you have to spend that money. So on, ESSER 1, the spend down date is January 28, 2023. On ESSER 2, it's January 28, 2024. And on ARP ESSER, it's January 28, 2025. So keep in mind after those obligation dates, we have to spend that money by those time frames. And that's important, folks, because there's so much available money, you don't want to go through the whole process of applying, getting the money, you know, uh, finding out how to integrate it into strategy, and then letting the fact that it wasn't spent on time being what holds you back from actually maximizing the funds. So. It can be frustrating maneuvering all those different deadlines, but if you plan early and make good note of them, it should be at least a little easier to maneuver and put those funds to good use. All right, we've got a lot still to get through Dr. Love, so I'm going to jump around here a little bit. Um, part of the ESSER funds are specifically for learning loss, right, which is, uh, excuse me, which is more specifically for addressing the lingering effects of the pandemic and how, you know, mass isolation, as well as um, a, a total adjustment of the rhythm of learning for students impacted some of the various subjects they were, um, you know, intaking at the time and how that can create domino effects through the rest of their education. So this, uh, you know, this, I guess, specification for ESSER funds around learning loss, is that a restriction around how you spend the ESSER funds, or is that more of a guidance on how you spend ESSER funds? Go ahead and break down that distinction for us, and then if there are any important restrictions to keep in mind, go ahead and lay those out for us as well. In ESSER 1 and ESSER 2, the first ones that we talked about, learning loss was addressed more generically as an allowable use of funds. There was no requirement that a piece of those two funds had to be set aside for learning loss. However, in ARP 
ESSER, local school districts are required, they must set aside 20% of their dollars for learning loss. And by learning loss, we're also talking about evidence-based interventions and looking at the student's academic, social, and emotional needs. So it's very important to understand that. Now that is at the local school district level. At the state level, when they receive their money only under ARP ESSER now, there was a requirement for 5% of their allocation to be set aside for learning loss, 1% to be set aside for evidence-based summer enrichment, and 1% for evidence-based comprehensive after-school programs. Noted. All right. Thank you for that clarification there. Now, I guess to that point, uh, distinctions between guidance versus restrictions on how to spend the money, uh, with the continuous pressures to create a safe and secure school environment, even outside of the COVID context, we have the health and safety pressure, but we also have the broader school safety pressure, right? Uh, eliminating violence at schools, trying to make sure that staff and students can feel safe as visitors come in and out of the building, et cetera, et cetera, right? Are these ESSER funds available for investments in those kinds of security solutions for either schools or larger college and university campuses as well? Why or why not? Absolutely, they are, Daniel. And Fantastic. The one key word, folks, that I'm going to tell you about ESSER funds compared to our some of our other buckets of funding is my little tip is flexibility. And let's kind of go through a little bit of some of those allowable uses, Daniel, just so that folks can see how they fit with school safety. I'd like to tell you the first and most important, or not most important, but the first allowable use that is out there for all ESSER funds. I'm not just talking about ARP ESSER or ESSER II or ESSER I, but all of our funds says that any activity that we currently do through the Elementary Secondary Education Act, which was reauthorized as Every Student Achieves Act, um, everything that we do under that is an allowable use for ESSER funds. That means that if I have something in Title I that I'm doing, if I have something in Title IV that I'm using for school safety, because Title IV Part A goes right back to making sure we have school climate and safe school climates, any of those activities are allowable uses, as well as any programs that we have or uses that we have for IDEA, Individuals with Disability Education Act dollars as well. But it doesn't stop there. And that's what's important. There are 20 actually um, allowable uses that were spelled out in the last FAQ by the US Department of Education. But I really wanna highlight one 
based on what we're what we're talking about. Um, I highlighted the one in terms of, you know, uh, any allowable uses of our previous education dollars that can be used. But the other one says providing principals and school leaders with the resources necessary to address the needs of their individual schools. That enables us as decision makers to figure out where do we wanna place our highest priorities, highest needs when it comes to school safety. So some of the things that you just defined for me, Daniel, certainly can be a decision maker's discretion to use these funds in that regard. But there's others. There's making sure that we have proper mental health um, aspects in there as well. There's also things that talk about tracking. So when we look at making sure that visitors and folks coming into our building and we have necessary protocols in that way, these ESSER funds are a perfect alignment to what we see under many of the allowable uses when it comes to school safety and the safe return of our students. And that's so valuable that this is truly a holistic investment strategy on the part of federal government. And it's encouraging to know that uh, you know, in this response strategy that there is some built-in flexibility on where to put those funds and how to, like you said, let them reflect the true needs of your staff, your students, your school environment. That's going to be essential. Uh, I, I fear that if it was a truly just blanketed, here are your restrictions, you can only put your money here, not only would less people take advantage of it, but it wouldn't truly address uh, you know, the, the broader push we've seen in education over the last several years to really individualize education, to really prioritize making sure that, uh, you know, even if it hasn't quite gotten to that point, to try to build those touch points with every student and make sure that that is centered in all strategies. And I feel like that ethos is carrying through in this funding too. So that's, that's powerful stuff, and I'm glad that's what's happening. So Dr. Love, what we're going to do now real quick is we're going to do a lightning round FAQ. So with these, um, you know, we're looking for 30 second responses. We're cutting right to the meat. And this is going to help our audience understand where do we find these funds? How do we move forward with applying these funds? And we'll, we'll give you some also specific strategies on some of the subsections of uh, students as well as areas within um, you know, the broader education sphere that these funds can go to. So Dr. Love, are you ready for some lightning round questions? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So first one for you, where can we find the ESSER funds in the first place? We mentioned the U.S. Department of Education as a first source to go through that. We already talked about that, but the other place that I would tell you is every single state education agency, State Department of Education. So you might see them titled differently, but all of them are addressing what is happening around these funds right now. So your state education agency is the, the second level that you go to. You may also find them in some local school districts on their websites as well. But most of the time you're gonna find them at the state education agency. I also wanna tell you that um, Raptor has done a great job in a little ebook that they have with an interactive map 
that will also direct you more information about these funds as well. Perfect. Thank you for that info. Next quick question. Who is responsible for managing the ESSER funds? Once you've applied, once it's time to put them to work, who holds the bank code? You know, this is very good question, Daniel, because this is, like I said, new funding. We haven't seen it before. So what we're starting to see is state education agencies and even local education agencies, our school districts, actually creating a position for someone to manage those funds. They might be called an ESSER director. They might be called recovery directors or recovery coordinators, but we're beginning to see the emergence of people having that hat to wear. Regardless, if you don't have that person, usually your federal um, director or federal coordinator for your federal funds will oversee these funds. So if you're in a smaller school district, it may be your federal coordinator. I also need to let you know, and this is important for your listeners, ESSER funds follow Title I formula funds. They are not Title I funds, as you indicated so well, Daniel, because there's a, a broad range of which we can use these funds. But they follow that Title I formula. And sometimes you may find, as a result of that, the Title I director or Title I coordinator in your school district might be responsible for those funds. Next quick question for you, Dr. Love. Uh, we've been mentioning some of the different areas where these funds can be applied, right? There are obviously students at almost every school with any number of disabilities. So it could be uh, physical disabilities, cognitive disabilities. So are ESSER funds available to help them more specifically in some of the more uh, you know, niche solutions for their needs? Yes, no, in what ways? Absolutely. The first way that I told you before that we explained before was that any allowable use for IDEA, which is our special education funding track, Individuals with Disability Education Act is an allowable use of ESSER. Throughout the allowable uses, we see the words students with disabilities, ensure students with disabilities, help students with disabilities with their family. So throughout everything, there is a huge emphasis in all three of the ESSER funds to address the needs, the specific unique needs of students that have special needs within our schools and school districts. So ESSER funds are an appropriate and allowable use for those students. To stay on this topic of applying those funds for more niche needs, uh, you know, my significant other, she works with a lot of at-risk and homeless children. And I think a lot of people, maybe not educators, but at least just a general listening public, may be surprised at truly the staggering number of students going through our education system that are homeless. So what about schools that do have a large number of uh, students who are homeless, who are houseless? Uh, can recovery funds be used for them in any of their more specific needs? If so, in what way? Absolutely. And again, much like the special education, homeless is called out through the allowable uses. But we also had another track, and I'm going to mention this in terms of special education and in terms of homeless. Under 
American Rescue Plan, in addition to the ESSER funds, there was some unique set-asides for those populations. So we saw money under IDEA. In fact, it was almost a little over $3 billion that was set aside in addition to the ESSER funds for special needs students. But we also saw it for our homeless populations. They hadn't been called out before, but they certainly were an emphasis right now. And that money was $8 million that came down. It comes down under our traditional way, which is Title VII. It's the McKinney-Vinto Homeless Act. And that money comes down to state departments, just like IDEA comes down in that IDEA track. This is separate from ESSER. And that's important. One more quick question in this FAQ, and then we'll wrap with sort of a larger, uh, I guess, more holistic discussion on strategy. What about recovery funds for private schools? Do these apply to infrastructure outside of the public school system, uh, or are there different channels to fund uh, you know, a private or even charter schools? Thoughts there? When, when I talked about the GEAR funding in round two, I mentioned that there was a set aside for the governors to apply for their non-public schools. It was $3 billion at that point for GEAR money. And it came to the governors and it was called Emergency Assistance for Non-Public Schools. We refer to it again, here we go, alphabet soup, EANS. We refer to it as EANS. The governor took that money and designated somebody at the state education agency to be in charge of those funds. They went out in each state as a separate competition for non-public schools to actually apply. Then under ARP ESSER, or excuse me, ARP, when the American Rescue Plan came out, remember I said there was no money under GEAR? but the governors got money. The governors again got money for EANS, 2.75 billion. And again, it went to the state education agency to manage those funds. So you may see funds coming out through your state department if you are a private or non-public school called EANS. Check them out because it's a great opportunity. All right, Dr. Love, that does it for those FAQs. Thank you for some quick bites. And again, folks, you can always um, look up online, head to the federal websites for more information on the various acts, maneuvering the ESSER and the GEAR funds that we just broke down. So last main question for you, Dr. Love. Let's talk big picture strategy here. How should decision makers approach aligning their funds to protect their schools? I know that earlier you mentioned building some intentionality in that process, making sure that the funds are specifically applied to your needs, right? Understanding the needs of your students, staff, and um, you know your whole uh, educational system. But who really needs to be brought to the table to make that approach aligned and which intentional strategies are you seeing work and why? What I would tell folks right now is to look at 
the state education agency plans, which are available at the U.S. Department of Education, because they become kind of an overriding guide for how your states are approaching, especially the safe return of our students. Now, every, every local school district also had to do a return plan for their monies. But we need to take those plans that we did and we need to align them back to the priorities for where the state is going. So why is that important? It's important because then we're gonna be able to leverage those dollars, use those dollars to the best of our ability during that runway of timeline that I've told you about. But also think about folks how, when these funds run out, how do I keep these programs going? How do I keep the good safety and safe return of what I'm doing going in my schools? And that's where we need to look at those other funds, such as Title I, Title IV, and other great opportunities, IDEA, that we have out there that can enable and sustain the efforts that you're building right now with ESSER funds. And I guess just as a quick follow-up, I, I guess I lied. One more question. Uh, any useful tips or strategies on how to stand out as a grant applicant? Would that process, uh, you know, I, these funds, uh, you know, should be distributed uh, across the board, but obviously there is an application process. So if a school wants to make sure that they really center their messaging, they really communicate why they're in need of XYZ dollars for funding, uh, where should they focus in said messaging? How should they apply that to their grant application? And why are you seeing those strategies work? What I would tell folks is to take the allowable uses that I mentioned before, those 20, there's 20 allowable uses. Think about the most important things that you want to accomplish during the safe return of students, but also think about the impact that it's going to have not only on students, but families and your community. So the school is the hub. So we have to think broad and wide how we're using those funds. Take those 20 allowable uses. Think about the most important aspects when we're talking about safe return of our students and align them. In other words, check them off and then give yourself a couple little statements of how and why you're going to do that. Now, these applications, Daniel, are not hard for school districts to fill out. They're not like a competitive application, but they do need to have some context and descriptions around what are my priorities. I also tell you to go back to those state plans and look at how and the direction that your state is going, because that will also enable you to make a stronger case for the use of these funds at your school and your building level. And I think on that note, that does it for today's live episode of the show. Wow, Dr. Paula Love, this has really been a pleasure. You clearly know your stuff. I really appreciate you taking some time to help our audience understand how to maneuver these available funds. It is a maze out there. And it's also amazing. <laughs> I'll throw in a little pun there for fun. Uh, it is really amazing how beneficial 
these dollars can be if put to good use and if you understand the intricacies of the application and the spending process. So let's say folks, they listen to this whole broadcast, but they're still a little unsure on some of the specifics. Is there any way that they can reach out to you specifically for some follow-up guidance? How can they get in touch? Absolutely. You can go to info at rfpmatch.com. RFP, folks, is request for proposal. Match.com. Think of me as your funding matchmaker, your funding doctor right now. So just go to info at rfpmatch.com. You can also reach out to Raptor as well, and um, they can also um, get in contact with me if that is an easier way for folks. Perfect. Dr. Love, again, president of rfbmatch.com and known within the industry as the funding doctor, almost 50 years of experience in this industry. Thank you so much for your insights. It's really been a pleasure chatting today and I'm looking forward to speaking again soon. I'm sure these challenges, uh, you know, they never stop. There's always some new funds coming down the pipeline, new federal initiatives for our educational system. So I'm sure we'll have more to talk on soon. But till then, Dr. Love, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks again. Thank you. And thank you everyone for watching and listening to another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and you'd like some previous episodes of the show, or you'd like to better understand how Raptor Technologies intersects with what we spoke on today, or you just want some more Raptor Tech Thought Leadership, make sure you're heading to our website, raptortech.com. Again, raptortech.com and subscribe to School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. <laughs>